Welcome to the Inside Sales Enablement Podcast. Where has the profession been? Where is it now? And where is it heading? What does it mean to you, your company, other functions, the market? Find out here. Join the founding father of the sales enablement profession, Scott Santucci, and trailblazer Brian Lambert as they take you behind the scenes of the birth of an industry. The Inside Sales Enablement Podcast starts now. I'm Scott Santucci. I'm Brian Lambert, and we are the Sales Enablement Insiders. This podcast is focused on helping you be successful, overcoming the complexities that you find in your own company so that your salespeople can have more valuable and relevant sales conversations and your company wins in the market. If you're an enablement leader looking to elevate your function, expand your sphere of influence, or increase your impact, you're in the right spot. And today on this episode, we've got a special guest. We've got Hang Black. And this is in response to the heroic framework that we published in an earlier episode. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I want you to know how much it means to me to have thought leaders like yourself introducing me to frameworks and thought processes. And I particularly resonated with your heroic framework. That's awesome. How did you guys meet? Geez, I think it was at a Sales Enablement Society meeting in San Francisco on a panel, Hang asked a tough question about metrics, I think. I think we've gotten along swimmingly ever since. And I think that's really how, how, we, got, how we got introduced and connected. Yes, I did ask you about metrics specifically. How much of a portion of GNA did companies spend on sales enablement? I think I got a funny look from you. I bet uh, Scott loved that question. I thought that was about a funny look. The answer was 15.9%. I remember that. I think it was, it was more that you were surprised that somebody would pick up on that yes. particular metric. Yes, exactly. That's the right question to ask. Um, anyway, so what we're going to do here is, Hang mentioned the Being Heroic Framework. So we introduced that as our part five of our COVID series. We had a follow-on conversation with Brian applying it. And then what we want is to put more color in it because it's a very impactful framework. Just to remind everybody a little bit uh, level set, it started out, uh, I think, maybe 10, 11 years ago. Uh, when we were at Forrester, we had a, a hero conference. We got experts. Uh, so Mitch Little represented the H, and we'll go through what these things mean later. Uh, we, uh, we had Ken Powell uh, representing the E. Carol Sestella, um, the reality-based. We had O for operations, uh, operation, ongoing operations by Daniel West, uh, who's, who's at Oracle now. All of these different parts, and we added two other elements to it. So I is impactive, and then C is uh, collaboration. So that's our framework. Now, like every hero story, there's an origin story. So let's get to know a little bit about Hank. Yeah, I love that setup so far. I'm wondering if she got bit by a spider or something in a secret lab or something. <laughs> well, to start, I have to start from the beginning. I have a chemical engineering degree, and I had asked my parents if I could go into business, and they said, absolutely not. You're Asian. Pick one. Engineering, lawyer, or doctor. So I picked engineering, which I happen to love. I started work at 19 as an engineer. I did that for nine years. Then I went over to marketing for about 10 years. And then I went over to sales. So it is interesting how you will still gravitate towards what you love. I found that at some point in my career, 
I was very, very broad because I was just exceptionally curious and I wanted to learn everything there was about product marketing. I wanted to learn everything that there was about product management. Um, so I went up through product management, product marketing, and then over into central marketing and then over into sales. The interesting thing about each of those roles, engineering, marketing, and sales is none of them has the deep respect for each of them that they should. And it wasn't until I landed into sales that I really understood how all three of those combined. And it was sort of magical. Having been in corporate, though, at that point, only for, I'd uh, been in the business 15 years and I'd only been with two companies. I ventured on my own, had my own company. I then consulted for about 30 different companies doing everything in sales and marketing consulting sales ops, marketing ops, field marketing, sales enablement. And then I just learned that I tilted towards enablement because if you think of traditional enablement as training, there's the teacher side of you. And then if you look at where modern enablement is going, there's the revenue operation side. So I like to think of sales enablement as business-minded teaching. And it was magical. I got connected to the Sales Enablement Society where we met Scott in San Francisco at Autodesk. And the questions that you were asking really connected me to the business within a business. And uh, that began my journey. And I then focused my consulting company mostly on enablement and ended up taking a job. I went back to technology, which is my love. And I stood up a program from scratch at a, at a company called Gigamon. And I got recruited out of there, went to a larger company called 8x8. And then that's where I had a global team that did everything, sales, SE, channels. And then I got recruited out into Juniper Networks, where I am now, where I've got sales and technical enablement for sales and services, which is collectively about 4,000 people. And it's been the biggest challenge that I've had, but the most gratifying because it is extremely complex. So I always say I went into engineering because I like solving complex problems I, and I like numbers. It turns out I went into sales because I like numbers with dollar signs in front of them. Awesome. And now you're at sales enablement fixing complex problems that impact a lot of people's dollar signs. That's right. And it's not just sales anymore. It's uh, above and beyond, which is uh, an absolutely exciting time to be in enablement. Excellent. So that's the backstory, the origin story. So now what we're going to do is setting. So bring us up to where you are in Juniper right up before COVID. So we have been humming along. Um, when I came in, there, there are certain things about enablement that is just critical and core. Make sure you have a good onboarding program. Make sure you have a good um, ongoing program. And then you build the excellence around it, which is industry best practices. Learn what you can from the industry, from the analysts, from your peers, and move forward. With COVID, what I found was any resistance that there was to change melted away. Immediately, all the, uh, all the red tape and all the, um, all the uh, I would call it speed bumps to evolution disappear because everyone had to pivot. And that's sort of my jam. Um, that's what I love, which is change management in times of crises. So at this point in COVID, we're actually hiring more people in. Uh, we're innovating much more quickly. We're activating projects that have been on the back burner for months. We're taking this pause um, to do 
what I would say, Lindsay had mentioned it before, which was to evaluate, are we doing the right things and are we doing the right things right? Um, my CRO has given me a lot of bandwidth to go after, I, I tell him 25% of my job is running in front of trains and tell him to stop. So let's make sure that we're doing the right things effectively and doing less better. So that's pretty courageous to run out in front of a train. And that's one of the things that we talk about a lot with the Being Heroic framework. We like that model because you have to be courageous and it's a way to help, help you think it through. Yeah, and this is Brian. I think it would be really great to hear how you're applying it at Juniper, Hang. Well, first of all, being heroic, how does that resonate with you uh, as, a, as an individual? What does it mean? Because some people are telling us, oh, that's kind of corny or cartoonish. Well, it's both. It is corny and it is awesome. So they're not mutually exclusive. It's easy to remember, um, but it's very, it resonates very well. So H, as you said, was holistic. It's the sum of all parts. And I think you have to start with the mission. I think that was something that I learned very early on in enablement, especially through the society. And each of us can have a different mission that is developed within the context of the company that we're in. Um, so my particular mission is, we've heard it for years, people processes and tools, but what are the enablement words that we build around that for myself? I develop an elite sales team to accelerate revenue growth by equipping sellers with relevant content, consistent process, and effective technology. That's a little bit of a mouthful, but if content isn't relevant, then we're just throwing stuff out into the ether. If we add technology, it should be meant to accelerate revenue growth and not be additional time suck. So one of the things that I do is uh, I'm a big fan of the medic framework as well, and I make sure that I have a champion in every single group, whether it's product marketing, um, product management, field marketing, in my SE organization, my sales organization, my services organization, I make sure I have a champion in each organization. And it's a continuous um, delivery and feedback loop so that I'm making sure that every person has a voice and we're all collaborating together. So one of the things that came up in the panel that we had of sales enablement practitioners with Siobhan, Doug, and Imogen was this idea of learning from each other, that that's, that's a key part. It's hard to be holistic if you're just dictating to different groups. It sounds like uh, that's something similar to what you're doing here is building relationships of representatives of different organizational functions that touch the sales organization. Truthfully, Enablement is, uh, can be kind of scary. When I came into Juniper a little over 16 months ago, I was a powerful force of one person. And in order to bring people along, initially you're inserting yourself and there's this fear of, oh my gosh, she's going to take over my job. Who is she, this brand new person? And the way I have positioned the conversation is, look, I'm here to help you do you better. Let me do what I do well, and we'll figure out how we can work collaboratively together. I don't actually need to own any or all of the process, but let's build the framework together. And what happens when you have that conversation is then you start peeling off a racy. You know, no one can do it all. So then you peel off a racy if you do this, you do that. Let's all specialize in the things that we do well individually 
and put it together as a program. So how do you handle the, the, the feedback? We've often heard pushback, as I certainly advocate exactly what you're talking about, even you talk about races. That takes too long. We have to go now. How do you, how do you rationalize that with a holistic perspective? Well, you can't do it without executive sponsorship. And I believe every single person that you've had on the show has said executive sponsorship. So when you have that uh, backing, then at least you can come in with voice. And again, it has taken me a long time to learn to speak in a way that I can resonate with the other organizations. I'm here with you, for you. Mm -hmm. And our goal is to help sales. Everyone has the best intentions in place. But what is it that we can, if we outline everything that needs to be done, when you look at it, I tell them, I don't need to own any or all of it. And then you look at the massive work that's in place and then we say, but you know, I'm happy to help you take some of it on. People are happy to. And then at some point when, when there are people who are um, unwilling to move forward, what you'll find is 98% of the company is will, willing to evolve and there's 2% of antibodies. And what I found has worked well has been just make sure you build a great product. This is the formal train. If you want to do informal things on the side, fine. But if you can prove adoption of what is in the programmatic framework where everyone has a voice, everyone's building together, the adoption engine is 60% to begin with, 70%. And one of the metrics that I personally love is over time, I look at my programs that deliver six months later, they're increasing in adoption. So meaning the same content that I delivered six months ago where it had 60% adoption in the first three weeks, I look at it six months later, it has 82% adoption. Why is that? It's because it's, it's content of value. It resonates and people go back to it and reference it when it becomes relevant in that moment of time in their sales cycle. Excellent. So then let's go into E, engineered. So how, how do you react to the E part of being heroic? So engineered, I love that with my background. And I know that you and Kunal have talked about being design thinkers, systems thinkers. It's about how all the parts fit together. I love the forward thinking enablement leaders take an approach um, to their craft. It's not about just taking orders and doing what other people say they need, but building with them. What do you need? Siobhan in your last podcast talked about being mission control. You're accepting flight plans. You're, you're evaluating flight plans and then you're accepting them. So those are, those are programs that are in flight. You're also landing planes, sunsetting programs that don't work and then taking off planes, make designing and designing products and services that are going to be the evolution of enablement. So a very thoughtful process end to end where you are adding strategic value with your stakeholders versus just creating what you think is good for people or even worse, taking what other people have dictated for sales and producing it. So how would you respond when somebody, if somebody were to say E engineered, oh gosh, you're going to over-engineer this. How would you rea react to that? Well, I think it flows very nicely into your reality base. There's <laughs> only so much time <laughs> to engineer. Um, you also have to be productive. So you've got to, um, you've got to build a plane while you're flying it. And the plane actually never lands. You're, you're designing for capacity. You're designing for rerouting. So you think of a plane that's always flying. Where's it going? It goes to where it needs to go at that moment of crisis. So COVID 
is actually a wonderful time for, for, for enablement leaders to flex their muscle, to show their innovation and creativity, to show their ability to skate to where the puck is, as you like to mention with uh, Wayne Gretzky. Awesome. And so you, you went right into the reality-based. What does that mean to you? So um, reality-based means you have to start with where you're from. You can't start with an ideal state. You can't start with, well, if these are the conditions that I have, if, if only the rest of the world will tilt to me, this is the awesome product I can create. You have to start from where you are. Spellers know all the time that they have to start the conversation with where their customers are. So for us, our customers are our salespeople, our sales organization, the C-suite. Where are we today and where do we need to go? And um, if you're impatient like me, that's actually <laughs> very, very hard to do. <laughs> that is probably the worst. That, that's probably my Achilles heel is operating within the reality that I'm in because I think that I expect that everyone should be able to innovate and move at a, at a pace that is probably not sustainable for a very large organization or for an organization who's simply not ready for it. Reality-based is starting where your customers are. And for us, it's sales. So what's interesting about this um, starting where you're at, where you talked about holistic and having a strategy, how do you morph those two together? It's interesting. A lot of people have difficulty that they think it's either one or the other. You have to either start where you are today or start with a, with a big plan. It sounds like you're doing both. How do you rationalize those two? So I can recall the last few jobs that I've interviewed for. Um, people would ask me, what's your 30, 60, 90 day plan? And I would say, well, um, I don't know. But here's what I would do. First of all, I need to lay the patient on the table and I need to triage. I need to fix what is absolutely, uh, I, I need to remove the, any cancers. And then I need to look at the patient and say, okay, what do we need to triage? What do we need to fix? What do we need to replace? What, in, what, what has to stay in flight while we're fixing and while we're building new projects? So if you go back to design thinking, it's all about, needs-based and where, where do we want to be in the future? Not right now, but six months from now. And I need to build for six months from now. Otherwise, we keep getting trapped in, um, and, and I see it a lot, we keep getting trapped in the triaging phase. The, I've got a lot of content, and that's mm -hmm. why uh, you call it brave. Um, I feel it, that it's necessary to get in front of trains and say stop, because most of the time, if you're an effective leader and you have the executive uh, backing behind you, you can actually stop in front of the train and get the train to stop and start getting people focused on, again, doing the right things and doing the right things right. So brave, though, is doing the things that need to be done is actually doing them. A lot of people don't do the things that need to be done. So I'm going to say it is brave. Um, and we can argue about that you want, but it's my show. And you're you can brave. call me brave all day long. I won't <laughs> stop you. All right. So let's, let's move on to O, operations. Uh, tell, us, tell us about this. Um, operations is a tough topic for me. It is my least favorite topic because I think enablement is often overlooked. People, um, a lot of enablement professionals don't tend to operationalize their craft. And when mm -hmm. I say their craft, it's specifically um, I, I put it in the framework of their craft and not their job because it can be, it's a difference between being tactical and being strategic. 
operationalizing best practices, operationalizing innovation. How do you take the product that you have and make sure that it gets better by continuous evolution and knowing when to call it a day and say, okay, this process, this program has served its purpose for the time that it has. And now Puck is somewhere else. It's going to be somewhere else. And I need to operationalize. Um, I need to operationalize my program. Now, again, what's scary about enablement for other professionals, for other areas of the organization is, well, I just want to get my information out there. But if you can ensure them that the program that you build guarantees the best adoption, you can tell them, look, salespeople have, get, I forgot what the metrics are, Scott, but it's a certain number of hours. I think it's like 12 hours a week that, that they're just looking for content. They're looking for the right tools and processes and content to help them move the needle. If you can tell them that, look, this engine that is maybe 30 to 45 minutes of, uh, of a seller's week gets the most attention and adoption and has very good feedback. People can create other engines. They just know that this is the one that, uh, that, get, that has the most impact. And again, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm leading you to your next letter already. So <laughs> <laughs> look, it's, look, it's our framework, right? Um, so it's our next letter being impactive. Tell us, about, tell us about that. It's just a placeholder to let the audience follow along. Yes, absolutely. So being impactful and, and operationalizing impact, um, I think that's an interesting, comp- uh, that's an interesting um, concept. If you operationalize impact and you're creating a business within a business, you're adding value by doing the right thing. Um, freeing up the efficiency of organizations, feeding into enablement. The last panel that you had talked about, well, how do you convince an organization that they should invest in me because I'm going to produce less? And why should they pay for less? And it's about, is that less better? Does that less free up efficiency and time? Seller's time can be counted in minutes, especially on the SDR virtual sales side. But as they move up the ladder, their minutes are very important because the minutes, every minute is, a, is, a, is an increasing dollar value per minute. So if I can help frame it in a conversation where I'm freeing up the efficiency of organizations feeding enablement, meaning marketing, meaning corporate finance, um, freeing up their time to not create material or enablement that doesn't resonate, that doesn't get adoption, that doesn't even get eyeballs. Over 67% of information that is sent to sales doesn't get viewed at all. And trust me, I was one of them. I loved, as a product manager, I loved writing my 50-page white papers. It was very heartbreaking to know that nobody read them. (laughs) Um, So if I can tell people, don't do that, do this. Spend your time curating Instead of writing a 50-page white paper, spend the same number of hours creating four 12-minute modules that are going to get consumed by 80 to 100% of the population. Hell yeah, most people will veer towards that end. Now, they can still do their own, but again, they're doing it um, eyes wide open with full awareness that it's, it's, going to be, um, it's going to be less adopted. And that's actually okay. Again, if you think of flight plans, um, you've got the major commercial liners, and then you've got private jets, and those are all useful in the right framework. 
Um, and then on the sales side, the efficiency is even more important as far as um, consumption and, and not just consumption, but practical application. We've got to look at how we measure impact. Do we want to measure output of how much content and training we produce? Do we want to measure number of minutes on the platform? Or do we want to measure practical application? How much has, um, how much has this pre-call plan been used? How many times has it been downloaded and used effectively? How many um, deal reviews have been done with this particular opportunity framework uh, mission that we've released? So the practical application and how many deals were won and closed and closed bigger with the practical application of what we're delivering, for me, that's impact. And definitely for the C staff, when they look at those metrics, that's impact to them. So I want to highlight a couple things. Uh, One of the things, going back to the engineering part, unfortunately, many sales enablement practitioners tend to be intimidated by the math part. You growing up in engineering, love it. So this is where that's an area you and I hang can really geek out about. But I loved what you talked about, about the impact being time. It's really easy if you've got discipline around your math to figure out how to prioritize what's impactful because you can calculate it. It's, it's pretty straightforward. It's what is the value of the time spent and we, on top of that, we don't want our salespeople wasting time with tire kicker customers. We want them spending more time with the people of the adult, the, the adult money. And as simple as that sounds, it requires some calculations because many people in the organization don't think that way. So in order to be able to create uh, impact, it sounds to me, uh, Hang, that you're leveraging your engineered background too to be able to make sure that the impact of less gets communicated. Is that right? Care to comment on that? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, um, so engineering, it's not just the learning of the, the science of their particular field, whether it's civil, chemical, mechanical, electrical engineering. Engineering is about learning how to think and solve problems. So yes. if you marry that with my learning in sales, which has been um, so rewarding the last 10 years or so, um, and I look at my sales training and I look at f- defining your champion, your economic buyer. One of my f- the favorite parts of my job right now is doing deal reviews. There was literally, we did nine hours of deal reviews last week. And at one point, um, because we're on Zoom calls now and everybody's watching your every movement, we had about 40 sellers on the call and somebody said, hold up, Hang's entire body language just changed. And the sales leader asked me, He said, Hang, you look like you just swallowed a wasp. What's going on? And I said, look, you have no economic buyer, no champion. You have no metrics. Who are you qualifying with? How are you ensuring you're going the right path? The whole point of these deal reviews is to understand it's just as important to qualify in as it is to qualify out. This deal isn't real. I think we should move on. And that freed up the sales leader to have me be the the, the bad guy and the heavy, and they're the heavy all the time, but they get to have an outside force to say, you know what, you're not spending your time the right way. And for the sales team, it was valuable to understand, okay, I need to move on. So when, we, when sales enable and as regarded as minute savers, then we become impactful um, yes. as, a, as the partner. And I'm not telling them, I'm not dictating them, I'm giving them a perspective with my experience, I'm being a consultant within the sales organization. Time is the only thing you can't ever get back. That's right. And so to value it is, 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 is huge. 
A couple things to in, Insider Nation to, to highlight. It takes courage to actually say, no, I didn't swallow B. I think this deal stinks. <laughs> that takes courage. And if you have discipline around that and consistency or, and a consistent framework for it, you can do that. I think the other point that Hang mentioned, it is not good, in my opinion, for the VP of sales to always be the bad guy. The VP of sales needs to be the coach and needs to be the guy that's uh, helping people along. And who likes, to, who likes to have meetings with people that do, do too much of the bad guy? So I think that, that there's two kinds of insightful moments there. And I think that gets us to see collaboration. Uh, tell us about collaboration, Hang. Well, um, recently I've created a, a TED-like talk. Um, and I call it TED-like because it's super digestible. And I've delivered a couple of times, in, including at Dreamforce, but I call it my personal leadership mantra, which is earn it, own it, evolve it. And you're right. Um, in another podcast, in a previous podcast, you had mentioned that inclusion is in the enablement uh, conversation is not about uh, IND, it's not about inclusion and diversity, but it's about bringing people along. My last sales leader uh, prior to this one talked about bringing people under the tent. So we're simultaneously doing, building, and designing. So one of the most threatening thing as an enablement leader to come into, people are worried that you're going to kill their baby. Yep. And you have to tell them, I'm actually not here to kill your baby. I'm actually here to evaluate what we need to do as a program and how we do it together. And again, going back to the metaphor of mission control, I'm not just landing the planes, but we're capacity planning. We're redesigning its existing infrastructure, and then we're designing for the future new solutions in, in anticipation of new traffic patterns. So when you bring PLM and product marketing and field marketing along and say, let's do this together, um, I am not the smartest person in the room. In fact, I don't like being the smartest person in the room because then there's nowhere to learn from. You get everyone's feedback, and then you tell them, I'm going to give you a, I'm going to give you a feedback loop to the best sellers, the best SEs, the best services personnel, and um, they are going to become your ambassadors. Once we win them over, we validate and win them over, then you will have an engine where other sellers, other services members will say, look, these people go to club every year. I want to look like them. So collaboration is all about having the vulnerability to confess, no, I don't know at all, and letting other people have the space um, and the comfort to be vulnerable to say, yes, I don't know it all either. I can't do it all either. And you work together. It sounds a little kumbaya, but ultimately we are better together. That's, I couldn't agree with you more on that. Uh, I think that there's an, another element to that is once you just say, hey, I don't have all the answers. So instead of focusing on the things that we don't know, why don't we collectively focus on the things we do know. Uh, that doesn't sound like kumbaya to me at all. That sounds like good old fashioned when we work together as Americans, uh, it's the melting pot. And that, that to me is exciting, not kumbaya at all. Oh, thank you for that. And I have to say the most difficult lesson that I have learned is that courage requires vulnerability. Yep. And vulnerability is exposing everything you don't know and everything and, and giving people accolades for what they are better at than you um, and bringing them into the house and saying, 
hey, this is, uh, we can actually build something quicker, better. We can do less better together and we can make impact better sooner together. That's so resonating with me because um, we added the INC after my personal experiences with the Sales and Anyone Society. We accomplished a lot more when I'd lead off our meetings with, we don't know what we're doing, but we'll figure it out. And what's interesting is how much pushback I get. Well, of course we have to know what we're doing. It's like, but we're in the figure out business. How can we possibly know what we're doing? We haven't done this before. So let's just put that aside. So that just resonates with me so much. And I'm, I'm, I love to hear people who have the courage to lean into vulnerability, uh, people who have the courage to talk about vulnerability in an activating way, not a shameful way. And, um, you know, I love the whole idea of we're better together. So that's, that's awesome. So hang, put us all together for us. Like, how did you get here? How do all these things to do? What does this have to do with COVID? Well, I would say that um, the enablement community has grown quite a bit. My learning in enablement, my, uh, my, if you can call them successes in enablement, in creating programs that are, uh, that are impactful to the companies that I serve has all been part of continuous learning from my peers. I listen to your podcasts and other sales podcasts. I commune um, in other uh, circles where I'm learning from. I, I listen, I attend as many CRO conferences as possible. So I know not only what my CRO cares about, what, what other CROs care about. And um, as far as COVID comes, has come along, it's actually... I think enablement professionals and leaders specifically can attach to this moment of change where we probably have more voice than we ever have before to have a seat at the table to drive change management by innovation. And I want to quote Kunal Mehta, who is on your first COVID podcast, I believe, where he said, you know, this is a moment to act with urgency instead of waiting to witness. I so love that phrase. Um, I'm always. <laughs> acting with urgency, um, but this is a moment for us to actually capitalize on it. It's a little bit opportunistic to, um, to use this platform and this time to move enablement forward in a way that shows that we have a meaningful um, strategy to drive impact and revenue for our companies. Excellent. So what advice would you give somebody uh, starting out all, all the things that you sound very intimidating. How would you get started uh, in the process of being heroic? And then we'll wrap up. Um, I will have to say, I will admit, enablement is hard. And, um, and you have to step into it knowing that it's hard. You can't step into it thinking, okay, I don't really belong in sales. I don't really belong in marketing. Um, enablement sounds like, you know, something cool that I can easily step into. I would say no. Be prepared for it to be hard because our job is to make things simple and uh, to convince other people that it's simple. Um, so I don't know that I have a good answer about, you know, not intimidating people. I think you should be prepared for it to be hard. That being said, um, you can also prepare for it to be, um, to drive a lot of adoption and mindshare and to have voice if you can prove that you're very relevant. So my advice would be become um, relentlessly relevant, get really good at what you do, learn, learn what it takes, learn from your peers, learn from CROs, learn from the analysts, 
look at best practices. There's the, the good thing about the sales enablement profession is we're all teachers. So we're all very willing to learn and willing to teach each other as well. Wow, Hang, this is Brian. And what a great, great way to, to wrap this up. I just wanted to jump in and provide some synthesis of what you talked about. And I've got five points that I wanted to recap. And the first one, I just, I really resonated with the takeaway that you gave right at the beginning with your origin story. Do, do what you love. And you found a way to gravitate to doing what you love. That sense of purpose, that sense of ownership, uh, that sense of vision uh, is ingrained in you, and uh, that that helps you be heroic to have that foundation. So I would encourage our listeners to find your strengths and to leverage your strengths as you become a sales enablement leader, especially to the C-suite. The second one is your definition of uh, modern sales enablement. That uh, modern sales enablement is about being a business-minded teacher. And much like our other panelists, as we've been discussing the state of sales enablement, they talk about two-way learning, learning from each other, understanding the perspectives of others, not to persuade them, but to help them get the win. And uh, that's the second piece here, is understand that you're a business-minded teacher, able to learn from others, and also able to help others be successful. The third is, and this was throughout the whole entire discussion, but you have a mental model that you're using to collect inputs, to vet those inputs, uh, to look for insights, to make decisions, to set priorities, and to be strong in, in your scrutiny that you get, as well as your ability to articulate. And that comes from having a solid mental model about how do you think about sales enablement. All of our listeners that have uh, listened as you have, I mean, you're quoting, I think I counted five, six other episodes. Clearly, you've been listening to a lot of our shows. And that's the real uh, win for Scott and I is to hear you using these shows and these frameworks and these items that we're talking about to build your own mental model. Things like, you know, thinking about sales enablement as a business when a business, uh, understanding the, the critical core and the uh, best practices view, understanding stakeholder management, taking the takeaways from Kunal and Lindsay and Siobhan. These items uh, help you build your, your model and that helps you uh, be um, resilient under, under scrutiny and pressure. So that's the third, is have a mental model about how do you think about sales enablement. The fourth one is uh, have a plan and that plan should incorporate both strategy and tactics. It's not one or the other. As some say in sales enablement, it's both and. You've got to be both strategic and tactical. And that ability that you have to understand the plan and uh, understand what the sales organization needs as your customer allows you to be both strategic and tactical. And I really, I really love what you had to say there around that. And that's the fourth takeaway is have a plan to be both strategic and tactical. And then the last one that I just love is, is this, this idea of you're a time saver. And, and you even said not only a time saver, but because time is precious, you're a minute saver. If you can shave minutes off of the minutia, if you can save sellers minutes of time, 
that's that is value added and that is is uh what salespeople need to be successful today especially with so many salespeople spending so much time in administrative internal meetings so that's my fifth takeaway is be a minute saver so there you go uh everybody uh, that's the the takeaways from hang do what you love be a modern sales enablement leader uh think about your your mental model for sales enablement have a plan to do both the strategic and tactical and then uh think about time and time is precious time is our most valuable resource and be a minute saver for sales excellent so that's the wrap on our being heroic framework thank you so much hang hang black uh who's joining us from from juniper if you haven't had a chance to do this before this is the third part of our uh being heroic uh heroic framework we're strong believers here on inside sales enablement that uh you can't really do sales enablement unless you're, you're running it from a leadership standpoint. We've heard that from our sales leader standpoint. Uh, when we publish, uh, by now we will have published our executive sponsors standpoint. Please try to find ways to model these behaviors. Being the, hero the being heroic framework helps you learn that. We want to thank Hang for sharing her stories about how she's a hero so you can model those behaviors. And please uh, continue to listen. Drop us a line. Give us some ideas of how we can make it more impactful for you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Hang. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. To become an insider and amplify your journey, make sure you've subscribed to our show. If you have an idea for what Scott and Brian can cover in a future podcast or have a story to share, please email them at engage at insidese.com. You can also connect with them online by going to insidese.com, following them on Twitter, or sending them a LinkedIn request.